Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm Rob Carraher. And I'm Danny Carraher. And this week we are continuing our Wes Anderson Marathon with the film The Darjeeling Limited. And we will get to that review after a little bit here, but we're going to start off as we have been by talking about what stuff comes out this week. Uh, we kind of have a weird schedule because it's summer. So uh, we've been out of town a lot. And so we figured it'd be a good time to do some of these marathon uh, reviews because we can record them whenever we want. Um, but there are a few movies on this list this week that uh, I am pretty excited to see at some point in time. Um, one of them in particular, which we will be reviewing next week. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to be back in the thick of uh, the, the new releases here over the next few months. And um, yeah, this week was, is kind of a, a good representation of how every week there are going to be many choices for us to choose from uh, and what we want to see. I think we're going to start to see a shift a little bit here where there aren't going to be as many movies that are going to be released on streaming first uh and a lot more stuff that we're gonna have to go to the theaters to see so the big release this week i'm not overly excited to see but it is a giant release because it is a disney film and that is jungle cruise currently has a 48 on meta metacritic and that just kind of uh solidifies my opinion about what this film was going to be like um and I, i'm sure it's not the worst film in the world but uh, I feel a little bit like uh, this, this 48 represents kind of what I would expect from it. Yeah, I don't have any high expectations for this movie. And it just is a movie, I think, for the family. And um, I imagine uh, it's probably going to be fairly entertaining for kids and um, not hopefully too painful for parents to take their kids to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hopefully. Um, uh, yeah, I think. Uh, it'll probably do pretty well. I think they're going to make a decent amount of money on this. Um, and uh, yeah, but it does look like a very expensive movie. I don't know how much they ended up spending on it, but I, I presume that it was pretty expensive. And so uh, maybe, maybe they won't make their money back. Uh, they, they got some big stars. I'm sure that the stars that they paid for this movie with the rock and Emily Blunt, I'm sure that they, that cost them a lot of money, but just the visual effects look like they probably spent quite a bit of money on this film. Um, but uh, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are pretty excited to see this. Um, the other big movie that uh, is going to be released this week is The Green Knight from David Lowry. We are going to be reviewing this film next week um, in, in a kind of celebration of David Lowry. We'll, we will also be doing his, a previous film of his called A Ghost Story. Um, but I am very, very excited for this movie. It is getting really great praise from critics right now as an 89 on Metacritic, which is a very high score. Um, and yeah, I'm really, really excited to see this. I would say right now, I mean, it, it changes other than Dune. This is probably one of my more anticipated movies of the year, just because I have loved the marketing campaign that A24 has had for this movie. It just has been 
so interesting. And then I think that the visuals of the uh, trailer make it seem like it's going to be at least a beautiful made movie. And so I'm super pumped. And um, I've just recently had seen a ghost story, which we'll talk about next week, but that made me even more excited to see this movie. Um, just because I, I believe this is a director that really has some interesting ideas to explore. So again, I've heard a lot of uh, good stuff so far from people that early people that have uh, reviewed it on Twitter. I saw a lot of film critics who have seen it and it just gets me more excited. Yep. Um, there is actually another pretty big movie that's coming out this week. Um, it is called Stillwater, um, stars Matt Damon and Abigail Breslin, uh, directed by Tom McCarthy, who, who was the director of Spotlight, which won Best Picture. And this, this premiered at Cannes, um, and it, it kind of received a little bit of mixed reviews. Some people, I think, really, really loved it. Others, not so much. It currently has a 57 Metascore. That is not a good Metascore for a movie that may be considered an Oscar player. That leads me to believe that it will not end up getting nominated. However, with the expanded field to 10 films, if this were to receive a, a great Oscar campaign, it is the sort of movie that could sneak in into that 10th spot. Um, but I, I would definitely bet against that it seems like that metacritic score is too low for it to to get in again i don't know the history of what other movies it kind of strikes me as a movie that might be i don't know that the american-centric perspective of it could be a problem with it but that also might be something it's trying to critique i can't really tell from the trailer yeah yeah i i think this is the this is the sort of movie where despite low reviews as of right now it still doesn't have a ton of reviews on metascore so it could improve if more critics are seeing this film um i think there's a possibility that because the a lot of those reviews are probably from can um that it doesn't necessarily fit the the feel of the can film festival it's not that sort of movie and in that could have been held against it slightly um, from those who have already already reviewed it. So my gut tells me that this Metascore is going to go up as uh, as we as it opens tomorrow and more of those reviews um, come in, which I presume they'll have more by by later tonight. Which um, we're recording this on a Thursday, and this this film is does come out tomorrow on Friday. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be interested to kind of watch the narrative around this. This is the sort of movie that maybe I'd be interested in seeing if uh, um, it starts to get a little bit more interesting buzz. But at 57, if it, it were to stay around there, um, I probably would avoid it uh, simply because there's just so many other things I'd rather see. And uh, I'm just not going to make time for something that uh, doesn't seem to be, be as good. Yeah. Um, there was a film that was released at the Sundance Film Festival uh, two years ago, I think for the 2020 Sundance Film Festival called Nine Days. Uh, and it, it looks to be a little bit um, dealing with 
the kind of spiritual supernatural. Uh, I have heard very good things about this. There are a lot of people, um, a lot of critics who saw this at Sundance and have said that this, this film is pretty incredible. It currently is sitting at a 72 meta uh, score. Um, and I think this is one that I'm going to be very interested in seeing. I'm not so sure it's going to get a mainstream theater release. It's probably only going to be uh, at your art house theaters um, or theaters that are interested in bringing some of more of those art house films uh, in. But uh, I am intrigued by this. And if I get the opportunity to see it, I will. Have you heard anything about Nine Days? I have heard nothing about this, so I'm excited to, to maybe check it out to learn more about it. Um, then there is, I believe, two documentaries that are going to be released. One is being released video on demand, and that is called Enemies of the State. Um, and it, it looks like it has some stuff to do potentially with like anonymous and uh how they it's about American family that gets kind of entangled in um, some issues with the government after their hacker son uh, ends up getting targeted by the US government. So it could be very interesting, um, probably a little bit scary, uh, but uh, I, I am intrigued by this. Um, and if, if I get an opportunity to watch this, I, I probably will. Um, I hope that maybe some streaming service picks it up because it's the sort of movie I'm not so interested in paying for extra if I already, if I can get it included in the streaming service. But, uh, it, it seems like the sort of movie that like a Hulu may try to pick up down the line, um, after it gets its initial video on demand release. Um, just because Tulu loves uh, releasing documentaries. So uh, hopefully I'll get the chance to maybe see that down the line. It currently has a 75 Metascore, which is pretty good. Um, so seems like it's worthy of checking out. There's another documentary called Sabaya, which was at the Sundance Film Festival this year, and I didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, it is a a documentary about uh, these group of people that essentially infiltrate a like prison camp in Syria to try to rescue these women that are being held as sex slaves. And I am very, very intrigued by this. To me, this seems like the exact sort of film that the Academy loves and I would not be surprised in the least to see this film nominated for best documentary um, come, come time for, for Oscar noms. It currently has an 88 meta score, which is a very high score. Uh, and yeah, it, it's very, it seems very intriguing, probably very disturbing as well. Yeah, I, both of those seem worthwhile to check out to me. I hadn't heard of either of them. I would say, uh, is, did you say anything about the second documentary you mentioned going to any streaming service or anything it like is that? currently not i think it's going to be just getting a limited release this week um will only be probably in a handful of art houses in a place like omaha or lincoln i imagine that both uh the film streams in omaha and the uh, ross and lincoln are going to get this eventually because it's just that sort of movie um but uh yeah i, I I think these generally just kind of get that 
that slow release. It'll probably premiere in some of the bigger cities this week and then eventually trickle down. Um, so if that is something that you're interested in seeing, just keep checking your art house uh, theater websites. Um, and then eventually I, I presume that it will be, get picked up by one of the streaming services. Um, I know that uh, they did a pretty good job this past year of getting uh, essentially deals done with uh, like Hulu and Netflix. They, they had a lot of those um, documentaries. So uh, as we get closer to award season, I imagine many of these are gonna be a little bit easier to see. Uh, because these these companies that have streaming services, they aren't going to have to pay a ton of money to acquire these movies. And these movies just want to be seen. It's the, the thing about documentaries and I think foreign films a lot of times are that they aren't as interested in making a ton of money. They just are hoping that people will watch their movies. And so I think as we are moving into the streaming era further and further, um, we're going to get treated to some really great films simply because uh, their objective is to be seen rather than just to make a buttload of money. Right. In that sense, it's pretty good for uh, indie filmmakers to be able to use streaming services as a platform because they could get a wider release or wider notice than they would in the theater. I, I'm curious, I don't actually really know much about how um, filmmakers are, like money is allocated to them based on views and things like that. Um, so I'd be curious to kind of learn more about that. But uh, I mean, like you said, this is a great opportunity for um, Netflix to pick this up or, or Hulu or whatever so yep there's one more movie that can't is coming out this week video on demand it looks like a trash movie it is called The Exchange no critics have reviewed this or there's not a meta score at least for this um, and it is like a comedy about a an exchange student and it, it looks bad um, so I don't think I'm going to end up seeing this at all I presume you will not be seeing this hey it could be really good no one's reviewed it yet <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we, we, it's a mystery, so I guess yeah. we'll find out. Um, but uh, that is the last film that is scheduled for a release this week. Um, in addition to our new releases, uh, this past week, Gold Derby, which is essentially an aggregate of critics um, and their predictions for many, many different uh, awards, whether it's music, TV, or film, and they release their odds for uh, the, the Oscars, for the, all of the uh, categories that are kind of above the line, meaning uh, Best Picture, uh, Director, the Acting Awards, and the two Screenplay Awards. And uh, based upon those odds, I'm going to go through and I'm going to read their top 10 for uh, Best Picture. And I thought maybe we could have a little discussion about some of the movies that are showing up on this list and kind of what we think at this point. So as of right now, the, the movie with the highest odds to win or to get nominated, I presume this is more nomination and less to do with uh, uh, winning at this point. But number one is The Tragedy of Macbeth. Number two is Nightmare Alley. Number three is Soggy Bottom. 
Number four is House of Gucci. Number five is Dune. Number six is West Side Story. Number seven is Don't Look Up. Number eight is The Power of the Dog. Number nine is Coda. And number 10 is The French Dispatch. Are there any that really stick out to you either as being surprising or that you expected to be there? Well, one that is, is, hasn't really been on my radar that I've like, I remember t- people talking about at the very beginning of the year is Don't Look Up, which is the Adam McKay yes. uh, movie. And this is a, a cast that intrigues me, first of all, um, a really big cast. It's also uh, one, a movie from Jennifer Lawrence that we haven't seen in a while. And for a while, Jennifer Lawrence was kind of striking gold uh, with the, 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 per- movies that she was involved in and it's a Leonardo DiCaprio movie too so uh, and Adam McKay so there's just a lot going for it right now that uh makes it interesting and with all of the like Dune obviously I'm excited for French Dispatch I'm excited for um but that was just one that like I kind of forgot about um that I'm all of a sudden pretty pumped for another one on there that I am curious to know, I didn't see this movie, but I'm curious to know what you think is Coda because um, just based on our conversation, I know that that was a movie that you liked quite a bit, but I am curious whether you think it is kind of of this Oscar level tier. Um, I do believe that it has a great chance to be nominated specifically now that uh, the field has been expanded to 10 um, and they have to nominate 10, 10 films. Um, this movie is going to be coming out on Apple TV plus here in the next few weeks. And so I, I think I'll probably give a little bit more of a, a second review of this at that time that maybe you can watch it as well. And we can have a little conversation about it along with um, what other film we're, we're reviewing that week. But uh, the, my, my thought on this is that it is not the type of movie that would probably ever win Best Picture um, just because it doesn't have all the technical aspects that, that make for a um, Best Picture winner. But it is going to be a crowd pleaser. I think very few people are going to watch this film and walk away from it with negative thoughts. It is going to be, I think, one of the one of those types of movies that are going to have a very high audience score um, just because it is a very feel good sort of movie. Um, and it, I think it, it it's interesting because much of the cast are deaf actors. Um, and so that's going to play kind of a role in all of this. I could see the film getting nominated for best picture Um, I also think that it has a really good opportunity to get a couple acting nominations, specifically in the uh, supporting categories for a couple of those actors that are in the film. Um, Beyond that, it probably isn't going to have a a huge impact. Um, And and that's where I think that... it may struggle to get into that top top tier, but because it is one of the few films that we actually know quite a bit about, um, because it has been seen, uh, with the exception of uh, the French Dispatch, none of the other movies on this list have been 
seen by wide audiences or any critics really at all at this point. Um, and so I, I think that you'd have to imagine that this, this is going to be a player and uh, has a, a decent chance to actually crack that top 10. Yeah, I, I'm excited to see this regardless, but yeah, I, based on the initial conversation I had with you, it sounded like Coda was more of that feel-good movie. Not to say that Oscar movie, Oscar Best Picture nominees aren't that, but um, just seems maybe a safe, a safe choice. Um, the other one that I'm excited about that is hasn't been on my radar as much, and I, I kind of forgot about it as well as Nightmare Alley. Um, I I love Guillermo del Toro as a director, and I know that uh, you weren't a huge fan of Shape of Water, but that was one that I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, but I'm like this year is stacked. It's so stacked. Um, and even if you don't like some of these directors, they're big time uh, filmmakers. Um, but yeah, like it feels awesome that we have this many great movies. Um, one thing that I was curious about is there any movie that is not on this top 10 that you suspected might be? Well, um, I, I'm probably not going to get into that at this moment simply because my plan is to do a supplemental show uh, at the end of this month where I am going to update my predictions for uh, films that I think are going to get nominated in those above the line categories. Um, the Oscars are set for March 27th of 2022. And so August 27th will be the six month date from that point. And so I'm thinking around that time, I will do a show where I will talk about some of the, the films that I think have the best chance to be nominated and some of the performances that I think have the best chance. Um, but I, I do want to just point out a couple of the films that are on this list. I was a little surprised that the tragedy of Macbeth, it does have the highest odds. Um, obviously it has a lot of things going for it. And I think that it has a great opportunity to be nominated, but the fact that it is Shakespeare, I think works a little bit against it. And so the fact that it's number one is very, very surprising to me. Um, I don't quite understand why, uh, people are pushing back so hard against West Side Story out of this entire list. I feel like West Side Story is the most likely to be a lock um, simply because it's Spielberg. Uh, West Side Story has already been shown to be a uh, Oscar winning formula and maybe that's what's working against it. But to me, it just looks like it is going to have the best opportunity to get nominated. Um, not saying that it's going to win, but out of this entire list, that is the one that I feel most confident projecting is going to uh, be, be an Oscar nominee. My only issue, I, I believe that West Side Story will probably be a pretty good movie, um, but my only issue with West Side Story being a movie this year is that it is a especially in terms of nominating it, it is a tradition pick because it's just people in Hollywood that are like, it's a big musical that was beloved. So we have to nominate it. It's Steven Spielberg. So we have to nominate him. Um, I just, I, part of me would like to see something that is maybe a little bit more original be nominated and that, that there's tons of movies in the past that have been nominated that aren't that original, but 
again, I haven't seen the movie. Could be fantastic. It just it seems it seems like such a tradition pick that I I almost am kind of not excited that it's going to have one of those nomination spots. And I I don't necessarily disagree with you. And this is coming from somebody that really loves West Side Story. Um, that he, from from the standpoint of should it be nominated? Maybe it shouldn't. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of musicals this year that are going to be more innovative and more interesting. We already have In the Heights. And frankly, if I end up liking the two pretty equally, I would probably rather nominate In the Heights simply because it is more original. I think it was a fantastic film. Um, But once again, there is going to be a section of the Academy that simply because it is a Spielberg movie, and with 10 nominations, I would be very, very, very surprised if this doesn't get in. And um, there's a possibility that maybe it's just bad. And in that case, maybe it doesn't get in. But I think even the worst Spielberg is still pretty good. And uh, I think that... uh, this is the sort of movie that is Oscar Beatty in almost every Oscar bait film that Steven Spielberg has made has get, has gotten nominated for best picture going back to the era where there were only five nominees. So I just think that it would be um, foolish to, to bet against Steven Spielberg here. Um, and I would be very, very surprised if we get to uh next year and this isn't in in that that group of nominations um i do want to talk about the power of the dog which is getting a premiere at basically i think almost every festival from here on out uh it's going to be at at a bunch of the festivals um and this is jane campion who is a well-respected director out of this group of movies I'm trying to kind of think about a movie that I feel has a good shot at winning best picture. And this seems like the sort of movie that we just don't know enough about at this point to truly know, but feels very much like a movie that will win best picture um, out of this group. I think it has the acting prowess that is going in its favor. It has a director that's beloved. And it sounds like an interesting story about two brothers that um, essentially end up feuding after the one gets married. And uh, yeah, I think it has an opportunity to be a a very interesting film and uh, could make a, a run at Best Picture. I'm super pumped for this movie just because I think that this is a movie that could really be a Benedict Cumberbatch um, kind of his big, you know, moment in a way. And not to say that he hasn't really, he's been in a lot of great things, but um, I sort of feel like he hasn't been able to show off his, uh, what he can do in, on a high scale. And even though this isn't like going to have probably have a huge release, I, it's going to get a lot of eyes on it, I'm sure. And that is pretty exciting. So I'm, I'm excited for, for this. And um, also Jesse Plemons, anything that Jesse Plemons is in, I just, sometimes he's a great, just like strange oddball character in something. And you just love to watch that. So 
Um, he, he's kind of like the, uh, to me, a little bit like the John C. Riley of the next generation, who I think he can do like anything, but he's never going to be like the main guy, you know? John I, C. Riley is in a lot more comedy, but uh, that, that's that's how I view Jesse Plemons. I, I tend to agree with you there. Um, the, the other movie that I think has a potential to win Best Picture is House of Gucci. Today we got some uh, posters of the different characters from it. Uh, it. It looks like from the standpoint of uh, kind of just the way that everything looks, this seems like it's probably also a pretty safe bet to get nominated for Best Picture. My fear is that it may end up being this year's Mank, where it has just all the pieces in place and then it ends up just being sort of boring or or uh the irishman for me a few years back the source material i've heard is somewhat boring um and so uh i i think that I, I still feel that The Power of the Dog has a better chance to win Best Picture than House of Gucci, no, having not seen either and not hearing any reviews just from kind of the, the basis of it. Um, but I am very, very intrigued for this movie, and uh, I kind of can't wait to, to see, see what it's all about. Well, they just released those posters today and I had sent you a text to check out uh, Jared Leto and he, they have him all up in makeup that you would never recognize it's him. And I was thinking, I wonder if uh, Ridley Scott likes to do that because they did the same thing with Kevin Spacey when he was going to be in um, The Richest Man in the World or yeah. All the Money in the World. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I, I think that that's kind of a bizarre thing. And the other thing that I have seen people point out is this is a movie where all five of the actors or four of the actors have received Academy Awards and one of them has only been a nominee. And that person is Adam Driver, who I think is maybe the best actor of the bunch. So, I mean, it just is uh, pretty exciting that, I mean, like all, all of these movies have fantastic cast. It's kind of hard to pick because there's just so much talent. Yeah between all of these well i think that we're gonna have a interesting year for uh the sag ensemble award there's gonna be so many options i feel like more than almost any other year in in recent memory there are so many ensemble uh films this year where they just have insane ensembles I think that the Screen Actors Guild is going to have a very, very difficult time deciding who they're going to nominate, uh, especially if all of these movies end up being pretty dang good. Um, but going back to Adam Driver, uh, one of the things I think that uh, we, we shouldn't discount is that Adam Driver has been in a lot of uh, Oscar-nominated films over the last five years. Um, and so the fact that he's a part of this project, I think, uh, I probably bodes well for it. Um, he's also in Ridley Scott's other project, uh, The Last Duel. Um, and in that movie very well could end up being in a, an Oscar nominee too. I, I, I tend to think that he's not going to get two in, but you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I think there's a better chance that those two movies get nominated than the Academy nominating more than one musical, despite the fact that there's a lot of musicals this year. Um, but I, 
it's going to be exciting. I think this is going to be a really, really exciting year for uh, trying to figure out what's going to get nominated because I think the field is, is full. Um, in the last probably a couple of weeks, there's been a few uh, movies that have dropped out that have would have potentially been a player. Um, the film Blonde, which is a fictional take on uh, Marilyn Monroe, that got moved back to 2022. Um, Canterbury Glass, which is the David O. Russell film, that also officially was announced that that's going to get moved back. Um, and then there's a few other films that were potentially going to be players that we didn't really know if it was going to fall into this uh, in, into this year's field. And one of them is Next Goal Wins, which is the uh, Taika Waititi movie. Um, that was kind of on the, the verge, and it seems like that's probably not going to get released until next year. The Darren Aronofsky film, The Whale, um, starring Brendan Fraser, looks like that's getting pushed back. Um, and then uh, the uh, Olivia Wilde, wait, Olivia Wilde film, Don't Worry Darling, um, mm -hmm. that, that is also... Uh, supposedly going to be pushed back to 2022. So the field seems to be maybe thinning a little bit, but it's still just absolutely stacked. And um, I don't think we're going to probably see a lot of the more indie flicks make it in this year. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of too bad, but it also makes it so fun to look forward to real quick. I have to just say this because I was thinking about this because it, it technically could happen. It's not very likely, but I would love it if Adam Driver got nominated for supporting actor in The Last Duel, best actor in Annette, and best actor in House of Gucci. That would be hilarious because yeah. technically that could happen, which is insane. It, it could happen, but I also think that there's a chance that it hurts him. Oh, um, yeah. It, it, I, that sort of stuff historically, I don't think has boded well for. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, there's been a handful that have managed to do okay, but uh, typically I think that there ends up being kind of a consensus around one performance and then everybody just goes with it, um, despite there being potential for many. And uh, yeah, I, that, that would be absolutely wild if something like that happens. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get nominated in both supporting and uh, lead um, for for both House of Gucci and uh, The Last Duel. I could very well see that sort of thing happening, depending on just how juicy those performances are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I am thrilled. I think that it's fun that the Gold Derby released these odds simply because it gives us an opportunity to talk about these films a little bit. Um, and uh, there's nothing better than... Uh, that anticipation of not really knowing what you have and it's kind of just a little mystery box um and so yeah it, there's gonna pretty much be something to look forward to nearly every week for the rest of the year uh and and i'm i'm here for it that's so exciting so when we return from this break we are going to be doing a review of the darjeeling limited and uh we, we hope that uh, you, you have an opportunity to kind of follow along with this and whether or not you have seen the film or are interested to know more about it, um, we hope you receive something from this review. So stick right there. 
Is that Dad's razor? Yeah. Can I say something? What? You don't have permission to take his property that belongs to all of us and use it for yourself as if it's yours. Jack agrees with that, right, Jack? Plus, Dad would have hated it. Why? That's my opinion. I know him well. That's a terrible thing to say. Well, I don't mean it to be. I just don't want you to get the feeling that you're better friends with him than we are or something weird like that. And also, you can't leave your wife just because she's pregnant. Jack agrees with that too, right, Jack? Stop including me. I was his favorite. He told me to have blood all over him laying in the street right before he died. How is that supposed to make us feel? All right, and we are back, and we are reviewing... Wes Anderson's fifth, or on the fifth one, yeah, fifth film, The Darjeeling Limited. Um, this movie is about uh, three brothers, Francis, Peter, and Jack, played by Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, and Jason, Jason Schwartzman, respectively, as they go on a spiritual journey in India in order to reclaim a sense of family. Pretty vague right now, but I don't want to give away too much of what's going on in this story. Their journey comes a year after their father died in a car accident, and at the outset of the film, each of the brothers is struggling to heal from their loss. Um, as we've been looking at these, we've been kind of framing them with a review from Roger Ebert during the time that the movie was released. This is an excerpt from his review. He says, I said the movie meanders. It will therefore inspire reviews complaining that it doesn't fly straight as an arrow at its target but it doesn't have a target either. Why do we have to be the cops and enforce a narrow range of movie requirements? So seems like Roger Ebert is kind of okay with the loose meandering of this movie. What did you think, Rob, about Darjeeling um, Limited? Before I get into this, I, that, that is an interesting uh, take from Roger Ebert because it makes me think about uh, kind of what he said about the life aquatic. And he had a similar... Um, take on the life aquatic but but this one felt slightly more positive um, it felt like he maybe enjoyed this one a little bit more than life aquatic despite the fact that uh, his critique within that statement seemed uh, quite similar um, and to an extent I, I, I would agree with him I, I think that this is kind of a little bit Wes Anderson's style he kind of takes things in a direction that uh, is directionless at times and takes us on these journeys where um, they, it, they, they don't really necessarily have a, an end goal and we're just kind of along for the ride. Um, and some of that's just because in a way they are very much these quirky character studies about these, these people that aren't necessarily true to life. Um, but but still are interesting nonetheless. Uh, going back and looking at my IMDb score um, from my previous viewing of this, I actually liked this movie better this time around. Uh, the, the first time that I watched it, I gave it a six out of 10. Um, I had been considering giving the, after watching this, that this time I considered giving it an eight out of 10, but I ended up landing on a seven out of 10. Um, and a, a huge reason that I like this movie is because I think that maybe more than 
any of the movies up to this point, the story to me is the most interesting. Um, I, I think that it has more to say than it probably actually says, if that makes sense, uh, where, where there, there is uh, a lot to unpack. And I don't think the film completely unpacks everything there is. Um, and that really, really intrigues me. It both gets me excited about it at the same time, it frustrates me. Uh, and that's why I think that I, I couldn't give it an eight because it, it didn't give everything that it, it still kind of had left in, in the tank. Um, the other thing about this is that it is a story that I almost would have rather seen as a pure drama. Um, it feels kind of stuck in between. And I think even though I enjoyed its comedy bits, because I pretty much enjoy all of Wes Anderson's comedy bits, uh, it, it just felt like it was almost owed a more dramatic um, take. And because I didn't get that, uh, I think it leaves a little bit more to be desired. Um, so I'm going to let you kind of take it back here and then we can continue moving forward. I think it's really interesting that you moved it up um, and I, I, I think that it deserves a seven out of 10. I think that that's, that's exactly where I put it. Um, I don't remember how, what I, I remember enjoying it the first time I saw it, but I don't remember what I ranked, ranked it. Uh, the issue that I have is similar to what you said is that there's parts of this movie that are really ambiguous and opaque. And I feel like it doesn't, seem to like it could have many different interpretations in some ways and I think that's a problem I think that a movie shouldn't be so uh hugely and differently interpreted I think that it, it should be have a little bit more focus but at the same time there's moments that feel like annoyingly kind of on the nose and there's one sequence where the character that Owen Wilson plays, he has all these bandages on him and he removes those bandages and he's all cut up and everything. And he says, I have a lot of healing to do uh, still, which I know that it was, uh, you know, like he, it, it just feels too on the nose. And it felt like that was a, an excuse to have that scene in that movie. And maybe it was, I think a lot of it had to do with the way it was framed in the scene. So there's this weird tension between the movie being almost too obvious about what it's wanting to say, and then also not obvious at all about what it wants. Um, and so I think that for me, that was the biggest issue with the movie. Um, I'm curious to know what you thought of, again, we keep talking about the stylistic and the technical aspects of Wes Anderson, because that is so specific to who he is as a director. Did you notice anything different or was there anything that's particularly uh, stood out to you about the technical aspect of this movie? Um, this is interesting because uh, sort of like The Life Aquatic, he is willing to kind of step away from uh, the complete production design aspect of this and doing a little bit more on location stuff. Um, but I, I was uh, extremely impressed this time just with the idea that he was interested in shooting a film that is mostly done on a train, which really 
uh, limits the space that you have. Um, and, and that to me is intriguing. And I think that probably was intriguing to Wes Anderson. And part of why that is the setting for this film is because he saw something um, worthwhile in making a film that takes place almost entirely on board a, a train. Uh, and what that means for how the film has to be shot. Um, and I don't know that it all was actually filmed on a train. It sure looked like it was, which I think is a credit to him as a, a director. Um, either way, uh, whether or not whether or not he actually shot the entire thing on the train or he created it to make it look that way. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is I, I see now as we're building uh in each of these and seeing them all kind of back to back like this, um, I am becoming more and more impressed with him as a director who is choosing to challenge himself and kind of take it to another level um, in the way that he is attempting to give us something visually appealing and interesting uh, that, that a lot of other directors probably would never touch. Um, and so, as always, uh, from a technical standpoint, this is a top-notch film. Um, and I, I think thinking about this in terms of how the Academy has accepted him as a filmmaker over the years, uh, even though they have begun to accept him, I don't think they have ever given him as much credit as he probably deserves for his, the technical aspects of his filmmaking. Yeah, I would agree. I think that the the all of the technical aspects and specifically the staging that they're doing with the camera and blocking and I know it is not of reality but that's also his movies typically are not of reality and I think that that is something just to, I like the framing of the way that we see the three brothers walking kind of in a line but they're kind of staggered there's a lot of that going on in the movie I like the framing of the brothers as they lean their heads out the window of the train and you see the train moving. And I think all of that is interesting. And um, there's actually, I'm curious kind of before we move forward talking about other aspects of the movie, uh, I'm curious to know what you thought of the beginning sequence of this movie that uh, is covering the a Bill Murray, uh, Bill Murray uh, character that really has no effect on the story at all. Uh, but the way they shoot that, it's almost like you're in some chase sequence. And I, I thought that was just such an interesting way to start the movie um, to get us into this story. And so I was kind of curious what you thought of that beginning sequence. Well, my interp interpretation of the Bill Murray character is that's their father. Yeah. And I was curious what you I thought. That, I don't know that it's super obvious that that's the case, but I think that's what you kind of walk away with. And this, the way that this is portrayed, th this movie more than any of his other movies is more poetic. And that is a very poetic choice um, that kind of leaves it ambiguous and up to interpretation as to what exactly it means. Um, and there are times where, where I want things handed to me a little bit more, but because it doesn't have an impact on your understanding of the story, um, I was 
I, I really, really liked that they started the movie this way. Um, I think that it, uh, it, it just, it, it gives the film a tone and kind of this idea of uh, almost walking in the footsteps or trying to kind of um, retrace steps of uh, this person that they, these men probably didn't know as well as they, they maybe wanted to. And I think it, it has some interesting things to maybe say about um, just about our interactions with supposed important relationships in our lives and the living with regret after you, you can't rectify some of those things that, that you maybe, um, actually do regret. Uh, and, and so, I know that that may be a little deep interpretation of kind of what is happening here, um, but because it does allow for it to be more open-ended, um, it kind of let my mind run wild. And yeah, I really, really do love the opening of this film because of that. I, I think that it, the whole time I kept wondering what that meant. I, it didn't really click to me until there's a sequence where it shows different people on the train that they're not on and it's kind of a jarring sequence that you is all of a sudden there and then it cuts back away and he's on the train with them along with other significant uh people within their lives um and so i think that that is uh i mean we can't say for sure that that's what the interpretation is but i think that seems to be what the interpretation is of, of Bill Murray's character, which I think adds some depth to it. Um, but again, I think, like you said, it's, it's a question of do I, is it, is it not, is it that it's not handed to me or is it that it's kind of a messy storytelling? You know what I mean? So I don't know if I'm just not willing to take that extra step on my own to kind of meet the movie where it's at, or if, if it as is an actual problem with the story. Um, We've been talking about some of the, I think, more positive aspects of the movie. Um, do you have any other things you want to add before we kind of start talking about some more critiques? Um, I think that now would probably be a good time to talk about some of those critiques. I do want to talk about the characters and performances, but we can maybe save that a little bit for later. Uh, and because, because I have some positive things to say about that as well, but um Let's, uh, let's save that for the end of our conversation um, because I do think that is a, a highlight of the film. Okay, yeah. And the, where we, we are with this movie in terms of, I, I think that one of the bigger critiques um, is he's been, uh, I think it's been talked about with Wes Anderson, especially with this movie, that this is a very... Uh, American-centric perspective that he's showing within this movie and the unfortunate aspect of that is that the movie is set in India and he uses India and the people of India as props for his story um, and there's a sequence in this movie that I think is actually a really great sequence uh, and I won't say really what that is but it's undercut um, by the Adrian Brody character referring to a person as 
mine as my person. And it shows you the way that these Americans viewed the lives of these people. And maybe the way that Wes Anderson as a director is, is viewing these. So that's the question is, is Wes Anderson aware of how much these Americans are ignorant and causing issues? Um, and if that's so, does that change how we look at that, look at this movie? Um, that is a excellent question. And uh, despite the fact we've had this conversation a little bit in the past, um, that didn't necessarily connect with me. Uh, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that so much, uh, but um, it is certainly there. And as we're having this conversation, it is clear that that is there. Um, and maybe this is wishful thinking, but I would like to believe that Wes Anderson is aware that this is an aspect of this character um, and that uh, that was purposeful um, because the more we know about these characters, um, they, they kind of all, all are egocentric type characters. They're only thinking about themselves. And that's a theme of Wes Anderson. These are the types of characters that he writes. And I don't think there is any indication that we are supposed to relate to these people um, and that we are supposed to somehow have extreme empathy for them. Um, we, we are to see them for who they are. Uh, and uh, the scene that you are talking about, I think uh, it, it's probably one of the better parts of the film because it, of the way the turn that it takes. But this is also, I think, one of Wes Anderson's greatest weaknesses in that he flirts with this emotional pull but never gives it to us and I don't know if that is purposeful or if he doesn't know how to write an emotional scene um, or if he's just afraid as a writer to write these sorts of scenes uh, but because it goes to that point and it kind of pulls back a little bit and it doesn't allow you as an audience member to fully attach to what is happening here. Um, it, it leaves us a little bit uh, kind of ripped off um, and it doesn't allow us to fully immerse ourselves in this uh, experience. And I think that this comes back to our conversation about these Indian people being used as a prop because it doesn't allow us to fully feel what these people are feeling in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if he allowed a little bit more emotion there and to fully feel that emotional pull, then I think it would lift up these characters that are otherwise just uh, a part of these American characters development, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's, it, and, and one thing that I think could have changed the story in some, some way, shape or form is the, uh, 
utilizing those characters as characters, you know, um, not allowing them to just be part of the background, which is essentially what the, they did. And it also begs the question here is, is this story necessary? Is it necessary for it to take place in India? And that is a question, yes, it allows for Wes Anderson to explore this idea of they're in a place that they're unfamiliar with. I think that is key. But there's nothing really about the actual story, the, the drama that is existing between these characters that needs for it to take place in, in India. And so, again, that's a critique you could probably make of a lot of movies, but I think it's a good critique of this movie because of the way that he seems at least in, and I, I am, I'm just trying to represent uh, critique that I've heard and seen other places as well, that others um, will argue that he is maybe not fully equipped to be telling a story located in India. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, completely. And I think that uh, that is a a probably good critique, um, and that that it maybe makes this film problematic. Um, and I'm not so sure that I, I think that he means well in what he is attempting to try to do, and the relationship that these characters ultimately have with India because of the experiences that they have there. Um, I think that in the end, there is a positivity that surrounds that, but are we cheapening it simply as a, a ploy for these uh, Americans that are entitled i mean we they're obviously very entitled each and every one of them and they all have uh very first world problems throughout this entire film um but uh yeah i i, I think it's he rides this kind of thin line um and i think you can make arguments on either side uh which is why he ultimately gets away with it i think um but this is the first film that he decided to like really set outside of i mean life aquatic they do too but it, it's not to the same extent because it's it's not uh relying heavily on other cultures as their as a ploy well and, and this is the the question too is that he he is he more interested in the place because of the people or the culture or does he like the visual aspect of it and um i it, it sort of in some ways felt like he felt like positioning the positioning the story in india would allow for a certain visual as aesthetic that is definitely he's playing up but it allows him to do something that he he would view as being artistically interesting um and so yeah, I, 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 I can understand where that comes from, but I think uh, what would, for me, what would have made this story even stronger is if that was justified with some story to go along with it for placing it in that region. And, and I agree with that. Um, th this kind of, I think, goes back to our, my initial sort of critique of this in that 
I wanted more. Uh, this feels like a story that would have made a great miniseries um, where you could play out some of these characters. If we got a little history, it, let's say Bill Murray's character is that father character, and we we got some history behind that character in maybe his um, experiences within India, then there's more of a draw to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think then you get that kind of parallel of why they are there and uh, kind of, once again, that kind of retracing of steps um, mentality. And yeah, now I'm kind of taking this on <laughs> my own, my own uh, artistic vision of what this could be. Um, but that's kind of where I wanted more. And as the movie gets, it seems like the first part of the movie um, is a little bit slow and not a lot happens uh, in the first section of the movie. And then all of a sudden it accelerates and they don't fully give the experiences later in the film, the uh, time that they need to be fully rehashed because it's like they're trying to speed to an ending. Um, and so the pacing of this film is not very good. Uh, I felt like the film had an opportunity to end at one point, and then it goes on for about a half an hour longer. Um, and they don't ever really fully hash out those things that are happening um, in that last half an hour. And that's where it left me kind of wanting more. Um, and it's because like, there's enough here. There's that little seed of intrigue for me where I, I'm like, yes, yes. I like where, what this is trying to say, where this is going. Um, but then they don't really let it grow. Um, and, and that it, it just clashes and that's where I find it to be. It starts to fall apart and where it drops from being, uh, an eight quality film down to a seven for me. Yeah, and I think that this is a good, maybe a good time to kind of transition to talk about the acting a little bit, yeah. because one of the qualities for me that I, I think is good about this film is I think that perform, performers did about as good of a job as they could have with some of that stunted storytelling, where you, you wanted more of that depth, right? You, and you wanted to see it grow more, but it it, the story and the script wasn't there to give them that. But I think given all of that, each of the brothers specifically, I think give a strong performance. And although Jason Schwartzman is, I think maybe the weaker of the three or the weakest of the three, I think that they each play the role the best that they can. I, and I agree with that. Uh, they, I think the fact that they bring Adrian Brody into this film um, is great because he's a fantastic actor. And I think he added an element to the film that maybe um, some of Wes Anderson's previous films were maybe lacking um, because there's nuance to his performance and he's, will, and he's able to show you things in the way that he uh, is physically acting within the film that the dialogue cannot. Um, not to say though that I think that there is some really, really great dialogue in this that is fun and uh, witty and uh, it relies heavily on these actors in order for it to be uh, well received. Um, but yeah, I think definitely uh, Adrian Brody is the standout here. 
um, and made the the film more enjoyable because of that. Yeah, and I think too a lot. Sometimes the the and this is true of all Wes Anderson movies. He has a lot of props that he uses for the actors and. I, I like seeing the way that these characters play with their props and the way they use it. Like there's a lot of that going on. And the thing with Adrian Brody's character is I love how he uses those sunglasses throughout the movie because it is that, that tie to his dad. And uh, I think that every time he, you know, is adjusting them, you're kind of reminded of that. And I think that's, in he's intentionally, doing that in a way that is supposed to evoke that sort of um, feeling from the audience. And um, again, this is another movie where I feel like I have maybe underrated Owen Wilson as an actor. And even though Owen Wilson isn't doing anything that's so uh, so big or so amazing, he, he's what I found out so far in watching these is that Owen Wilson is really good at playing a character who is, putting up some sort of front in order to cover how he's really feeling. And maybe he never really tells you how he actually feels, but you still understand that something else is going on underneath. Um, and I think that is a, is a testament not only to him as an actor, but the strong subtext of uh, Wes Anderson's writing. And even though it doesn't go dramatically in a literal sense where we want it, it has a lot of depth to the character. I agree with that. Um, Owen Wilson will never, nobody will ever accuse me of uh, calling Owen Wilson my my favorite actor um, because I think that he, he is a little bit limited in the types of roles that he plays. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, I think he does an excellent job here. This is the type of role that is perfect for him. Um, it did feel at times a little bit similar uh, to his role in Bottle Rocket. Um, I felt a lot of similarities between those two films in terms of uh, just kind of the quirkiness of that narrative and kind of doing ridiculous things and uh, Owen Wilson's character convincing people to do things without really knowing what they're doing. Um, and so I, I saw some similarities there, but uh, yeah, he, he obviously this character is better um, and it's a little more hashed out and developed. You can see, I think this is a good, really good point to really compare uh, or to, to show Wes Anderson's progress as a filmmaker. Um, I think it's maybe 11 years since Bottle Rocket. Uh, Bottle Rocket was 96, is that correct? I think so, yep. This is a 2007 film. Um, and so you can see that growth. And because of those similarities, more than his other films, I'm really comparing the two um, because they feel more alike than, than Bottle Rocket does to any of the previous films. Go well, ahead. And even the dynamic between Dignan and the other character played by Luke Wilson, whose name is escaping me, that is similar in a way. Like I, maybe it's because I know that Luke and Owen Wilson are brothers, but those characters in Bottle Rocket feel like brothers. And then obviously there's a clear mirror with this. Um, it's also a good time to point out and something that occurred to me is that he is, Wes Anderson is so interested with familial relationships. Pretty much all of his movies uh, 
involves some sort of family uh, relationship that is the, the drama is at the core of some sort of disconnection between family, even though in Bottle Rocket, they, they aren't technically brothers. They almost are like surrogate brothers for each other. And then you also have the issue between the third character um, and his older brother uh, who, I mean, like, so these, all of these family issues that pop up. And so I think that's something that he kind of seems to be experimenting with in different ways throughout the entire his entire filmography what do you think about that no and that's something i noticed last time um that wes anderson just has this interest in family and relationships and even that at, at the core of his movies every movie is about relationships um whether that a lot of times it's family but sometimes it's more romantic um, but there's always this dynamic that he's very interested in kind of dissecting in a dysfunctional and quirky sort of way. Um, and I, I think that's part of the appeal for me of Wes Anderson is that uh, he is really interested in, the, in it. And it's uh, almost a little bit of a twist on like the family melodramas of the 1950s. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, I, I can appreciate that. That's kind of his, his go-to thing. And um, even though there are aspects of these films that almost seem like he just keeps rehashing the same sort of thing, there, there's enough difference uh, in each one that you can continue to appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I like the fact that he, he makes these films about um, relationships and oftentimes dysfunctional relationships. Yep. And it, again, we keep looking forward to French Dispatch because that's kind of where we're headed. That is a movie seemingly that doesn't have a, a familial relationship at the center of it, but I would assume it, it might look something like Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou and the fact that there is a sort of like friendship family that exists within or camaraderie between a group of people um, similar yeah. to the way that that Bill Murray feels about his crew. Yeah, kind of a surrogate type uh, fam family uh, feeling. Um, I do want to say one thing about Jason Schwartzman, because I know that we've kind of given him the shaft here, but uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that I appreciate about this is simply a comparison between his character here and Rushmore, because they're very, very different. Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't believe that they're the same actor, uh, if other than the fact that they look alike, but they, they're very, very different uh, performances. And um, this is just more of an understated performance. Um, that that brother is kind of almost the uh, kind of the one they step all over, um, and he kind of gets taken advantage of. And and so I, I think it works. I think it works for Jason Jason Schwartzman to play this character here, and I appreciate it more because of the uh, just complete. 360 that you get from or 180 that you get from uh uh what the character he plays in Rushmore mm -hmm. yeah I I totally agree and I think that the interesting that like it had to be Jason Schwartzman who played this character because the visual of him being much shorter than the other two brothers 
just rein, reinforces the idea that he is the little brother. Um, at least I, I believe he is the little brother, but yeah, like that he, uh, he has to, to appear that way. And um, so part of it is just their statures that played into that and made that, I think, an interesting dynamic. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who maybe could have played the Jason Schwartzman role, but just in his appearance that allowed for something to come through. Did you want to talk at all about uh, the, the kind of short or the deleted scene that was uh, part of this film? Yeah. So um, they create, Wes Anderson created a short film. That's a companion piece to this called Hotel Chevalier, I believe is pronounced that way. And um a 13 minute film that uh, is separate from the Darjeeling Limited but follows the Jason Schwartzman character um, and these are events that take place prior to uh, the events of the, the Darjeeling Limited and um, I had seen this previously but I decided to watch this after we wa I watched the Darjeeling Limited, and um, I, I think it it was almost more interesting to watch in that place because of references made within the film to uh, references made within the the Darjeeling Limited to this um, specific little short film, um, and it, it, there's just something I like about this, and I can't quite put my finger on why. Uh, I, I like the fact that Wes Anderson decided to make this as a separate piece to the actual film. Here's my theory for why I think you liked it a little bit more. I liked it too, by the way, but it actually is showing the drama that we don't see within the film. And so we actually got to see what a dramatic sequence looks like that Wes Anderson wrote and it still feels very authentically him. It was slower, it was less quirky, but, and that's maybe why they cut it from the movie. I, I, for some reason, I was under the impression that it was maybe a deleted scene, but it, it was a short for sure. Uh, let me, before we continue on, let me read a statement that was um, published in an article from 2007. Uh, called, it was published in the Boston Phoenix um, under an article called The Darjeeling Unlimited by Gary Suzman. Um, and this is a quote from Wes Anderson. When it was all done, I didn't want to incorporate the short into the movie, but I couldn't decide how I wanted it to go. I wanted to play the short in front of the movie, but not always. Sometimes I preferred to watch the movie, or sometimes I preferred to watch the movie without the short. It became a puzzle to me. So in the end, I decided that I would like to have the movie open in America without the short, but I would like people to have access to it if they want to see it first. So he made it free on, I think, uh, iTunes um, for a month surrounding that movie. Uh, but I, it's an interesting take. It's interesting that he decided to kind of make this um, a separate part of, of the film. I, I I think I understand why it was taken out because it doesn't match the feel or the pacing of the rest of the movie, but I think it is almost better 
than some of the sequences we got in the movie. And part of that, which I don't even think we'd mentioned this yet, is that Natalie Portman's in it. And uh, it's interesting to see Natalie Portman in a uh, Wes Anderson directed movie because she adds something that you don't really like associate with his types of characters. She feels very real in a way. She doesn't feel like a caricature as so many of the Wes Anderson characters do. And so it's, I actually like seeing it after the movie because you see the Jason Schwartzman character is maybe a little bit of a caricature and she makes him feel more real. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. Um, I think it gives us a little bit of a view into his life that within the film, the Darjeeling limited that he is trying to hide. It's something that it's this facade that he is putting up that he's trying to portray himself as this different person. Um, and because we only get little bits and pieces of it, um, it, it really doesn't show us who he truly is. And in this short, uh, you get to see more of who he truly is. And he's exposed through this Natalie Portman's character. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like the fact that Natalie Portman is in the Darjeeling Limited in just that that sequence where you see her as part of that train. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, if, if you didn't know that she is attached to it through the short film, then you would probably miss the fact that it's her in that, in the actual film. Well, the first time I saw it, I was like, I didn't, I didn't know anything. I didn't recognize her and I didn't second guess it. But this time when I watched it, I'm like, what? Is that Natalie Portman? And I'd never seen the uh, short before until afterwards. So um, yeah, I, I thought that it adds some depth to the story in a way, and it kind of reinforces your idea of this would have been interesting or it would be interesting to see it maybe as a limited series or something um, because these characters do have depth, but I think Wes Anderson's probably not interested in that idea at all because he likes the, he like I think he likes being able to show a lot of depth in character in a limited amount of space. Yeah, and I, I think that you, probably hit the nail right on the head there but this also makes me want to see a dramatic Wes Anderson film um, because I thought that it was a beautifully shot uh, little short film and um, I I want it I want to see more of it (laughs) like ultimately maybe it's because of Natalie Portman too because I love Natalie Portman I think she's a fantastic actress well I mean Adrian Brody and Bill Murray and uh, Tilda Swinton are all in his next movie that's supposed to be, it's being made right after French Dispatch. And Adrian Brody is, is definitely more of a dramatic actor. Maybe we get to see some more drama in the future. I hope that that's the direction that we get to see future Wes Anderson movies. Yep. All right. I think that kind of wraps up, unless there's anything else that you wanted to add on our, our kind of critique of this, this film. But uh, I, I feel like we, we got to talk about a lot of good things here in terms of uh, the positives and negatives of this film. Um, and frankly, I think this is one of the more interesting films that he made, even its faults and all, because 
it is a little more dynamic. Um, and, and that's, that's the part that kind of it, because of that aspect of it, because it is a movie that I want to talk about maybe more so than some of his others. Um, it, it hurt me a little bit to not be able to give it a little higher score. Uh, and, and that's just kind of the way that it goes. Yeah. I, I agree with you. It's, it, this is some, something that I think is just kind of a flaw that he has as a director, but we'll see where that goes as he, in the next era that we are going to look at of his filmmaking is definitely a time period where he's growing in, in uh, being more well-known. And uh, I think that we're starting to see where he starts to become more of a uh, award season type player. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of take a look at the next few Wes Anderson movies. I know we, we're not going to go straight into that yet, but what, what do we have coming up? Um, so this upcoming week, we are going to be doing the Green Knight. Uh, that will be on um, August 8th. Uh, and we're going to do that as sort of a double feature with uh, David Lowry's Ghost Story. Um, I think that th that would, I, I think we can have a good conversation between those two films um, and, and how they are similar and maybe how they're a little bit different. Um, I, I may even try to, I honestly, that's the only other David Lowry film that I have seen. Um, and I, I may try to watch one or two others in the meantime, uh, just to kind of ground this conversation a little bit more. Um, but we'll see, we'll see if that happens. Um, the following week on, uh, August 15th, we are going to do a review of Wes Anderson's The Fantastic Mr. Fox. Um, I'm really excited to revisit this as part of this series because uh, going into this, this was my favorite Wes Anderson film. Um, and so it, it'll, it's going to be interesting to me to see uh, how it fits now that we're kind of in this series. Um, the week after that, we are going to do another double feature of Annette and the Spark Brothers documentary. Um, and that has a natural connection um, so that's going to be on August 22nd. And then we're going to round out August with um, another Wes Anderson film, Moonrise Kingdom, um, which I believe kind of was his first film that really put him more in a mainstream, uh, the, the mainstream of cinema and started to get him a little bit more noticed by a wider audience. So it'll be fun to review that in the context of what we've been doing here. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I'm very much looking forward to Green Knight next week. Yep. All right. So until then, have a great week and we will see you later. See you.